If you're a gifted storyteller, you need to listen to this episode. 54 services a weekend might be a little crazy. Hire the best people you can and take a lot of naps. Who said that? You want to train younger teachers? Give them access to the teaching team prep and use them as your personal Google. When was the last time your family took one car to church? What do you do when there is no anonymity when you walk into a coffee shop? Paying your dumb tax ahead of time. And what do shortstops, running backs, and power forwards have to do with teaching pastors? In this episode of The Teaching Pastor, we catch up with Chris Brown, teaching pastor at North Coast Church in Vista, California. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Teaching Pastor. We are coming to you today from uh, Memorial Chapel. There's a rec chapel going on next door at Hume Lake Christian Camps, and I am sitting down with the legend of the 1992 <laughs> SES Summer Counseling Staff, Chris oh boy. Brown. We're going to start that way. Oh, we're totally going to start that way. So Chris is the one of the teaching pastors at North Coast Community Church, North Coast Church? North, North Coast, Coast Church. North yep. Coast Church in Vista, California, and other locations. How are you today, Chris? Doing great. Just finished chapel in front of 1,200 high schoolers, so I'm a little amped still. It's going to be fun. That's cool. We'll, we'll adjust the levels as we need to. We'll adjust. <laughs> and if we go over the band and the crazy wreck going on outside, we may need to pause this once or twice. But you're going to get all the sights and sounds of Hume Lake. I know. It's awesome. So how many years? Was, you, was 92 your first year up here at Hume? No, actually, I brought uh, a youth group for the first time in 89. No way. I came up here. Okay. So I was up here 89, 90, maybe even 91, at least 89, 90 with a youth group um, doing winter camp up here. Uh, I was working at a church down in Fabric, kind of north San Diego County. Yeah. And then uh, realized after three years of doing youth ministry, I should probably get an education. So I left construction. <laughs> Um, went and got some theology, and in the midst of that, I had a summer open and said, man, I can work at Hume. So, yeah. 92, you and I were on the same We team. were on the same summer counseling staff, and uh, my wife is sick of me talking about how great that year was. It was legendary. It was legendary. It was a good time. It was a good time. What I remembered is um, every time you counseled in a camp, you won recreation. We, we won <laughs> Four year, four weeks in a row, uh, Meadow Ranch, which has yeah. never happened before. Yeah. And one of those weeks, the third week, they brought me in on Tuesday because a counselor got sick. We had to go home, left a bunch of kids, and uh, um, they were in last place. So we went from last to first from Tuesday on, and it was maybe maybe I had too much focus on recreation at that point. No, I, you know, I I think Chris, it's really a testament to your the way you're able to work with people, motivate people, work with teams because I mean, that's what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, it is. You're doing that now at North Coast. You're you're leading um, well, what are you doing at North Coast? Let's just talk a little bit about that and then get into the teaching side of stuff. Uh, I am uh, one of the lead pastors at North Coast. We have 11 now, so it's a little bit different. Um, we really try to keep and respect those that have gone before on staff. Um, we feel like to have to kick a senior or lead pastor out to have new leadership is moronic. Um, it doesn't work anywhere else in life, but we do it in the church. And so we love to keep guys that have gone before us on staff, but we love to bring up new young eagles and great leaders without saying you have to wait your spot and give them leadership. So a lot of us that are getting more gray in the beard, we turn around that maybe we were driving the bus. Now maybe we go back and take the second seat. Okay. So you always talk about working up in staff. Yeah. You know, there's different levels. Yeah. Why don't we ever work back down the bus? Yeah. And guys with the right heart and humility can do that. So we got 11 lead pastors. I'm one of those. Mm -hmm. Um primary uh lead role is to oversee staff so we got 539 staff oh get out um, full part-time half uh, five campuses and 54 services a weekend is that wow. crazy that is crazy i would not i mean that might literally anybody. be crazy <laughs> it is crazy people always go oh we want to look at your model and i go no you don't it, it works for us find out what works for you yeah but this one just happens to work for us yeah well i love the idea that you've got You've got people that have gone before you, guys that have gone before you that you love and respect, and you also are building the bench, building people who are coming up and yeah. training. Um, where do you feel like like that kind of landed for you? Like, oh, no, the, I don't need to be the guy. I need to be surrounded by great generations on both sides. Yeah. Um, Ronald Reagan. Actually, there was a <laughs> quote from Ronald Reagan. <laughs> out of Ronald, all, throw Ronald Reagan in my put face. Put Ronald Reagan in there. <laughs> 
who, uh, who asked about his leadership, he said, I hire the best possible people around you and take a lot of naps. And I thought, I could do that. Um, plus, I've never been the smartest guy in the room, the wisest guy, uh, the highest intellect. I've not been the most theological, theologically astute. I can't even say the word. So why don't you get people better than you? And then your job is just to make them and their spouses and their family happy. Mm. And that's, that's really what I do. That's I'm awesome. kind of the cruise director. Hire people that are better. Keep promoting them allow them to get even more glory just get the seat on the bus where you build relationally and someone once challenged me at a pastor's conference i don't see this plurality in leadership i mean i don't see that biblical huh. and i'm like oh yeah maybe page one <laughs> let us make man in our image our god doesn't even rule in singularity but it's plural plurality, leadership yeah. And so we thought, well, if God can narrow it down to three, we probably need a lot more than that. Let's go 11. And it, it really shows our staff, too. We, we create spots when needed. Yeah. And, and, you know, we take away spots, you know, when needed. And so people, most churches, you look, and, well, as long as the senior pastor's there, there's a ceiling over me. Yeah. We try to go, no, as long as you're going and growing and leading, we'll create a spot at the table. Awesome. So a big part of your job is you are overseeing staff, but you're also a teaching pastor. Mm -hmm. So... Um, one of the things on the podcast is there's a lot of people that listen that are either part of a team or want to begin, maybe pastors that are operating in isolation that want to build a team or build team around their own weaknesses or things like that. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about not only your role in the team at North Coast, but the evolution of that teaching team model there. The evolution goes back to a guy named Larry Osborne. Uh, who is still there and is still the wisest dude I've ever worked with. And so another reason not to kick someone off the bus, it's like, my gosh, give him a seat forever with that kind of wisdom. Yeah. Like who would want to take the wizard out of Oz, sure. you know? And so um, it started back when the church was even 180 and uh, about 35, 36 years ago, and it's progressed ever since. And, and really, Craig, this isn't out of a weakness or for your yeah. weaknesses. This is a strength to go, why should the church be led by one mindset, one passion, one voice? Because we all have our own passion, our own voice. And the church today is a large business. This isn't the church of 40, 50 years ago. Um, once your church gets to be 200, 300, 400, 500, you have a decision every week to use your mental capabilities to either lead or to teach. Because the weekends I'm teaching, my conversations in the shower when I'm driving are all about that message. What am I doing? Where's yeah. it going? The weekends you're not teaching, you know, you can wake up on Monday and go, hey, why does our website suck? And has anyone ever looked at our website? This is straight from 1973, <laughs> and they didn't even have internet back then. What are we doing? And you can focus on leadership. And mm -hmm. so... We really challenge guys. One, you get your voice longer because once you've taught two years, you've pretty much taught what you can teach and you just you rehash in illustrations. A teaching team takes my one year of teaching and spreads me into three and it gives me more longevity. Um, a teaching team also allows me to lead better, not just when it's the weekends I'm not teaching. And it allows me to be a better husband. And you know, we really challenge our teaching staff. The week you're not teaching, you drive to church with your family and you mm. leave with your family. Yeah. Um, most pastors don't know what their parking lot is like at a nine o'clock service at 8.59. Right. Most pastors don't know what it's like to check in a two-year-old, you know, at nine o'clock. Right. Um, because we've been there hours ahead of time. We're greeting people. And when you drive with your family, you really get to see. So we just, we just look at it as leadership, better health. It's better for the congregation to have multiple voices. It's better for your leadership. It's healthier for your family. Yeah. Why would you be the main voice? That is a great, the, um, we take two cars to church. Like, nope, the discipline, when you're not teaching, you're taking one car to church. Yep. One car, that means you're with your family. Yeah. That means you are like every other family trying to make it. <laughs> yeah, and me with three kids, I learned what it was like to check in, you know, a two-year-old. And I'm like, what's what's the deal with this line? And everybody's like, well, this line's here every week. And I'm like, well, why do we have a line? Well, there's one lady up there penciling people in and giving you a sticker with a number on it. And I'm like, we live in that day and age still? Um, can we fix this? And so there's little things like that parking. Yeah. I'm like, is this really what it's like to get into our service at nine o'clock? Yeah. This is redunculous. Yeah. Um, and I would have never known that because yeah. you're there two hours early, two hours after. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So as it, let's, but we're, this is the teaching pastor. So let's focus on the teaching side. I mean, it sounds like there's some great leadership and organizational stuff going on, but that's for the children's podcast that's, yeah, and that's, the parking that's ministry. The, other, the parking. Good. <laughs> we did that last week. <laughs> pastor versus parking guy. All right. Um, so where did you get some, where did you get, let's talk about training, whether it's formal training or informal training. Let's just talk about your path towards dealing with scripture 
mm. and moving that towards uh, the pulpit. Wow. Try to do this 29 <laughs> years in a nutshell quickly. Um, was a guy that was working construction, driving heavy equipment, doing grading and paving. Which is perfect training for being a pastor. Yep. A lot of solo time. You just get to run over a lot of things. A lot like pastoring. And uh, Hammer a lot of nails. <laughs> that's it. Um, had a youth pastor in the area that just pulled me in. Um, they were coming to Hume Lake. I need, a, I need an adult to go with me. I was 19 at the time. And I'm like, I don't know any adults. And he's like, I need you. And, uh, and pulled me into the youth ministry. Didn't have any formal training at all, but over the next year and a half, really poured into me. His name was Jim Trail. Mm -hmm. Here's how you do messages. He started me with the breakfast club we had across the street from the high school. You need to do a five-minute Devo, and I would do a five-minute Devo, and all the kids would leave, and then he would spend an hour telling me, well, that was the worst five minutes that ever was in the kingdom of God. And he was right, and he really started just to chip away. Um, after uh, several years of doing that and being in youth ministry, that's when I realized I got to have some formal education. Yeah. Went to Azusa Pacific University, uh, got a degree in theology, um, biblical studies, um, took some classes there afterwards with John Hartley um, going for my grad degree, but I never finished it. Okay. I was working I was working in Pomona, kind of East L.A., um, my junior and senior year with a youth group, and they hired me part-time. Um, it was a church that was on the rebound, and that place just started to explode, and every waking moment was just poured into inner city kids huh. and loving it, and... Uh, I started looking at the rest of what I had to finish for a grad degree in the area of biblical languages, even in philosophy and church history yeah. and some psychology. And I was like, I just, I just took my Bible and ran. Yeah. And it's always 90 something units is, is oh, daunting. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it. And now right. 29 years later, I never yeah. got back to it. But in that, then I started looking at, okay, what are the areas that are weak for me? Um, what minor prophets who spends much time in minor prophets when you're in student ministries, right? You know, and so let's do an entire series just on the minor prophets, you know, 31 weeks on the minor prophets, um, revelation. Uh, I, we started going through areas. I started picking weaknesses of mine that I felt like there's areas of the Bible. I'm not sharp on. Let's dive in and do my own study, our mm -hmm. own stuff. And as you'll get to in a second, we do this as a team. Yeah. So how do we all grow in it? Yeah. So, so a lot of it again, training, cause we've had, there's no one path for training. We've had Darren McWaters on here, who not a day in seminary, but as he was traveling the country in his band, was reading the books and, you know, and was able to have some outside conversations. And so some of it is formal training. Some of it is the, is kind of the real life MDiv. That's been an idea, an idea that I've been kicking around is what does a real life MDiv look like? And someone like you has kind of lived the real life. You kind of build it while you're flying it in some ways. But there's also, um, you know, books, people along the way that have been helpful who have been some of the more formative people along the way on that real on that real world MDiv um, and some of the books that have been formative for you as you've encountered uh, mm. some of those authors. Uh Early on, Jim Trail, the youth pastor, that saw something in me that no one else did. Right. I mean, no one else did. And in fact, probably against all odds, held on to it at times where everyone's like, you should probably get this guy out of the youth group. <laughs> um, and Jim held fast to something, you know. Uh, first day at, uh, in biblical studies, a guy named Bruce Boulogne just rocked me with the class that he taught called Life and Teachings of Jesus. They called it Strife and Beatings, um, not Life and Teachings, because it was a, such a hard class. Wow. It was a senior-only class. I took it as a freshman. Now, I'm a 23-year-old freshman okay. going to school, so I don't look like a freshman. Probably still acted like a freshman. But Dr. Boulogne opened my eyes for the first time to Scripture and the depth of it and the brilliancy of it and this life of Jesus. And I went back. Um, I had taken uh, Palomar Junior College. I had taken classes while I was driving tractors. So I had a bunch of general ed done. Some of it didn't transfer. So I had enough units. It was one of those combined thing. So I had a bunch of extra credits to take um, that I could take anything. And yeah. I'm like, why am I going to take art or why am I going to take, you know, jazz band, learn drums? I'm just going to go back and take everything Dr. Boyne taught. Okay. And there's not a message that I teach today that still doesn't have his fingerprints okay. all over it. Yeah. Um, so you found someone, you found a, a professor, a teacher that you were just like, look, I'm going to dial in. I'm going to learn whatever I can. I'm going to take every class that he teaches. Radically changed everything I am, every, how I saw scripture, what wow. I do today. No one's had a greater influence on my life, you know, as a human being than Dr. Bruce Boulogne. Fantastic. So. so when you are looking at, let's see. So today when you're looking at the text of scripture and you're getting ready to, to preach a message or you have... You've either we'll get to team in a second, but when you're looking at scripture, 
how are you looking at it? Are you still a paper, paper Bible guy? Are you, have you gone electronic? Do you use Bible software? Um, do you use online resources? What are yeah. you using to look at the text of Scripture? I am still, uh, I'm still old school with teaching out of paper Bible. I'm still old school with having that in my hands, my marking up, my notes. Most of my study is all now online and electronic. I still have a, a decent library with some stuff I'll look at, um, but almost everything I do is online. So for me, it's, it's just reading Scripture, reading Scripture, reading Scripture. Okay, just, what translation are you, or translations are you using? Um, I right now teach out of NIV. Mm-hmm. Um, I still use the 84 edition okay. NIV. Because that's what I took to class with me. That's still what notes are on. I got that Bible in 90-something. And, uh, and so that's been with me through the wars. So before I teach a passage, though, I tend to look up new NIV and go, okay, what changes here? You know, right. a lot of pronouns um, and maybe some words a little different. Because I do realize a lot of my audience is teaching, you know, they're, they're reading Scripture along with me on their phone, on their device, yeah. on their iPad. Right. So, uh, but that's still what I teach out of. And then online... I love a guy named David Guzik. He's free. It's called EnduringWord.com. Uh-huh. He was president of a Bible college in Germany for a while. Um, now he's actually back in the States. He's been a pastor at Calvary Chapel. Um, oh, I forget the city. It's on the coast. Um, and he's got an incredible uh, commentary online free. He's done a lot of work with some of the great scholars, quotes everybody puts it in. So I feel like this guy did a ton of work for me. Yeah. And yet he writes at a fourth grade level, which I love to read and I love to teach at. And so David Guzik, EnduringWord.com, Blue Letter Bible is yeah. a go-to for me. Right. Um, looking up languages, looking up uh, just different voices, different opinions. I love that there's different eras on this. I'm seeing what guys were thinking and talking about this 150 years ago and guys 20 years ago. Um, and then depending on what I teach, you know, are we teaching an Old Testament? We do, we do primarily teach books. Yeah. So we just did 50 weeks, I think, in the book of Genesis. We did like 39 weeks in, um, in Timothy. We did, okay. uh, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time. Uh, we just finished Hebrews. I'm sorry. We're 30-some weeks in Hebrews. Okay. So we love going verse by verse. So depending on the book, I'll usually find who's got a great book on this? Who's got a great either commentary or writing on this book? And kind of read it, devour it. I got a little brother who's just a theological brain. Mm. He got his PhD from a Midwestern Baptist Seminary. And sometimes I'll call up, I call him Bobber. And I'll call up Bobber. Bobber, you got anything good on this? He's like, oh, there's a guy that wrote it. And I'm like, give it to me. I can't understand half of what you tell me, but give me the book. So you've got great resources that you are able to go to, whether it's the online stuff. And we'll put links to some of that stuff in the show notes. I don't know if there's a link to Bobber, but we'll... Uh, I'll give you his we'll, cell yeah, number. We'll, we'll give you, you can text him and see Everyone should have a link to Bobber. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put some of those links in there. Um, where, When you are doing message prep, where are you doing your best work? Are you in an office? Do you, do you have a home office? Um, do you go for a coffee shop? Do you, you go out to the ocean? Like where, where are you doing your best yeah. work? I tend not to do much public just cause, and it's, and it's, and it's not braggadocious. It's just all five of our campuses are in North County, San right. Diego. And so because of the size of our church, it's hard to escape people a yeah. lot. How many people at North coast? A lot. A lot. Yeah. Okay. So we're probably in the 5,000, 6,000 more. If we're going high, if you double that, okay, you're getting close. So anywhere so in North County, San Diego, bread, sit, yeah, sit you're going to see somebody. Somebody always walks by. Right. And any given couple months, we're going to reach probably close to 20,000 people. You know, on right. any weekend, 13,000 plus. But those that come and go at regularly once a month. So there's a not month. a lot of anonymity in a coffee shop. No, yeah, none. Which is fine for me because I'm such an extrovert. I'm going to watch people. Right. I mean, any movement of humanity is going to capture my attention. You're a little bit of a squirrel guy. I am. Definitely. Shiny squirrel. Go. (laughs) Um, And also I've learned that I I need to be more doing when I'm mulling this over. Uh, I love driving. I love uh, taking care of the backyard, um, pruning palms, doing something like that and having the scripture in my head. Right. That's why for me, I read it. I read it. I just try to ingest it. Um, Then you do some of the work we talked about with some commentary and make sure that, you know, you kind of got great human hermeneutics in there. You've done your exegetical. You've really kind of got a gist of what did it what did it really say to people then? What does it mean for us now? How do you apply it? Um, And then really what we do with the team for me, for an extra fleshing that out with a staff that is there to help me with the message every week is just brilliant. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about team. And um, so are you in an office then, I I guess, before we get to team? 
Are you doing work in an office at home? Yeah, I do work in my office. Home, I don't. I mean, I got three kids. They're teenagers, 17, 15, 13. Home is always a little bit of a zoo. It's not a big house, you yeah. know. I mean, it is for the world's sake. It's 1,800 square feet, but you don't escape noise and people. Right. There's no den in there. Or dishes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And my wife's she's a temptation for me, so I don't do work at home. I just, I love my wife. I love my kids. I'm like, if I'm home, that's my retreat center. That's All not right. where I work. Good, good. Okay. You can edit that. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think we will. That, that's, that's good theology, my friend. That's, that's Genesis right. too. That's right. That's healthy pastor. Um, the growing pastor. Okay. So you, so team, let's talk about team. Um, who's driving, like, tell me a little bit about the process yeah. about how North Coast decides on what's the next book. What's the next series we're yeah. going to do? Who's driving that? Let's just start there. And I really think that's the genius behind the North Coast Sermon series weekly, the series we're doing everything. Is this started uh, this started eons ago, maybe uh, 30 years ago where they decided all of we're going to be a small group based church and all of the small groups are going to be sermon based. Instead of small groups everyone having a different book, everyone having right. let's just all do questions and homework on the sermon so the church is marching through these books and this application together. And so it started whoever was teaching and whoever was writing the growth group homework needed to get together early in the week so the teaching pastor could say here's what I'm doing, the homework guy, what do we want to do with it? They talk right. about the message. And that's kind of where this the genesis of this. About 14 years ago, um I had a couple youth pastors that were great communicators and I thought it'd be fun for them to sit in on this. Yeah. And so, Hey, do you guys want to join us for sermon prep? It was a week where we were having a guy that was gone anyway. So I'm like, why don't you guys come? That'd be a blast. How many people at North coast at this point, 15 years ago, 4,500. Okay. So 5, it's still, it's, it's still big. It was still big, but it's not as big as it is today. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was still useful for whoever was speaking just to, you know, air this out with a guy that would give some pushback. And what are you going? What do you mean by that? That, that was helpful just to have one on one or one on three. At the most, we had three that would show up. Um, well, the moment two youth pastors get to go, you know what happens. There are other guys like, well, how come I can't go? Well, why do they get to go? And I'm like, well, you can go if you want. It's just how we're doing the message. All right, well, I want to go next week. And then within three weeks, we've got eight dudes, gals and guys that want to go. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we do this in a little office. Now we need to go to more of a little conference room. And from there, it just started to get out. Well, you could sit in on it. And, and here was the unintentional beauty of it. Um, now we have anywhere from 20 to 35 people that meet. And that's yeah. the way it's been for about the last 10, 12 years. Weekly or? Weekly. Okay. Every Tuesday morning, the week of the message, that's as far as we plan at mm -hmm. North Coast. Every Tuesday morning, whoever's teaching that week comes in and you run that hour. Here's my initial thoughts on the passage. Here's what I think I'm doing. Here's kind of some main points. Here's what I'm kind of fuzzy on. But sometimes you may even have an outline ready. Most of the time, I never have an outline. Okay. Greg, honestly, there are times I've come in from teaching somewhere else Tuesday morning, the whole group comes in and I literally say, where did Larry or where did Hilkin leave off this week? Yeah. And they're like, he left off on Hebrew seven, four. And I'm like, okay, let's just read verse five on and then just talk about what this passage is. That's rare. I have nothing. Usually I've read the passage. I've had some thought behind it as an extrovert. Then for the first time, I'm expressing what I think about this passage to my team who is there to help me. Now, this is key. They don't get to write this message. They are simply my Google. They are my resource. They are a think tank for me. They don't think they have ownership of it. Mm -hmm. I can walk out of that room and change it anywhere I, I want. You can take whatever, take or not take yep. anything that's there. And, and that's different from churches I know where five guys get together, they all write the message together, and they all go give it. Everyone there has a say in it. Right. Um, this is not that. Okay. But this, I'm hearing from new Christians, and I don't think like a new Christian anymore. I'm hearing from introverts. Um, and I don't think like an introvert. I'm hearing from our female staff and pastors, and I don't think like a female. I'm hearing from mystics. I'm hearing from reformers. I'm hearing from conservatives. I'm getting input. You know, my junior high intern, he's like, oh, it's like that story with the boy and the bike. And I'm like, yeah, what story with the boy and a bike? He goes, there's a story about a boy that bought a bike, and they had a tire that, and he tells me the story, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's genius. I'm using that. I have another guy that goes, oh, it's like, what, did you read the USA Today? You must have. And I'm like, no. Well, yesterday they had a whole thing on, you know, spiritualism today. And I'm like, can you give me that paper? Um, and then I have someone else go, man, I never knew that, you know, Satan was Jesus' brother, you know? And I'm like, oh, whoa, is that what you got out of this? Because I want to get that dumb tax ahead of time. So in one sermon prep, I've clarified Jesus is not Satan's brother. I don't know how you got that. I've got people think I read the paper because I got a great article from the USA Today. And I got an illustration about a boy and a bike. And 
Um, they make me so much mm. better. They do pay my dumb tax ahead of time. Mm. Almost every pastor has had this. You get done with your messages for the weekend and someone walks up and goes, oh my gosh, it was like the USA Today. And you're like, I wish I would have had that. Mm. Or someone walks up and goes, hey, I never knew Satan was Jesus' brother. And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> did people walk away with that? Yeah. We get all that ahead of time in this group. The last 15 minutes, we say, who's writing homework? Craig, you raise, I'm writing homework this week. And like, so what have you heard? Well, I think I'm going to do questions on this. The whole group turns to that person. Mm. What about this passage? What about this? Oh, what about using Abraham? And what about, and, uh, and it's group think. I walk out having so much more on my plate that I can chew on. Yeah. As just an extrovert, I've been able to get it off my chest, see how a group responds. Man, I'm ready to teach. As an introvert, you're going to kick this ball yards down the field than where you could have gotten it on your own. Um, and I'm going to get all this input and it's going to make me better. It's going to make me smarter. I'm going to avoid the traps that maybe yeah. my blindness, yeah. you know, wouldn't see. Is, is 20, 20 to 30 people, is that a little bit unwieldy in, no. in the teaching team? Or do you like the... I love it. You Not love the way we do. And here's the, here's the reality of yeah. it. Eight people are going to do most of the talking. Okay. I was going to ask, like, who... Because not everybody gets the same permission to put in their two cents, essentially. Everyone gets the same permission, but I'm allowed to weight it differently. Okay. I don't tell you how I'm weighting it, but I write down on a yellow pad. And what you don't know is I've clicked my pen. Um, there is no ink as I'm scribbling down. But you're like, oh, Chris is writing my stuff down. And I'm like, thanks for having you here. I'll have people go, so you got to have some people show up. And you're like, why are they here? Or why do they always? There's some people that no matter how hard I try, they always want to go off track. Yeah. And, and you have a right to say, hey, look. I mean, that could be a great message. I mean, you could go right. that direction, but here's where I'm going. Right. So you get to own the rule and the room and bring it in. Right. But here's the thing. You may have one person that 99 times out of 100 said something, and most of the people in the room just roll their eyes. Maybe they just don't have great EQ. They just love being in there, but you're right. like, oh. But that one time out of 100, they give you a gym. For that and for that reason only, yeah. you can sit through the next six months again. Yeah. I think the, pragmatically it's awesome, but all – but. But also just thinking about giving young teachers access to that process is invaluable. I mean, that's part of why this podcast even exists, yeah. is just to give people the permission to be a fly on the wall in a conversation they wouldn't normally be part of has so much upside. Oh. I can't even begin to... to and this is one of the unintentional consequences yeah. because what we did was help the message kind of group think, you know, I'm going to use you guys as a, a brainstorm team. What we didn't realize is with a matter of years, our teaching all across the board at North Coast just went another bar higher huh. because our, our junior high pastors, our high school pastors, our children's workers, they all come. It's, it's, it's not an invite only. It's open to anybody. Okay. But it soon became known, man, if you're going to teach at North Coast, why don't you sit with the teaching guys? Yeah. We are constantly stopping the group thinking, going, hey, guys, let me listen to this. What, um, you know, what Kevin just said is so true. But let me tell you the difference between doing that in a dialogue and doing that in a monologue. Let me tell you the danger of doing that from up in front and when that needs to have a conversation. Mm. We're constantly dripping into, guys, here's how you put a message together. Here's how to decide what's in, what's out, right. what hits the cutting room floor. Yeah. And we, we turned around thinking this is going to help our teaching. And in years we thought we saw... Look what it's done to teaching all across North Coast. Mm. Now you will walk the halls of North Coast Church any given week, and you're going to see our junior high teams together, mm. our high school teams mm. together, our children's team, all doing this exact same sermon prep. Because they're bright enough to go, if Chris, Larry, and Hill can do this, right. man, maybe I need this. So you guys have created a culture of collaboration, Yep. and you just did it by inviting everyone to the teaching team meeting. Yeah. And let me just talk to the senior pastors or the teaching pastors out there. You will be better because of this. Hmm. I've never walked out of that room going, well, that was a waste of time. I've always walked out going, oh, man, they make me so much smarter, so much better. Even when I'm speaking at a conference or somewhere else, I will grab an impromptu meeting that week before I fly out and just go, guys, here's what I'm speaking on. And Craig, we all got our home run messages. This could be one of my sugar stick home run messages. I've done it 100 times. It's a leadership talk. I still pull it out in front of the team, say, this is what I'm going to do in Chicago, or this is what I'm going to do in Florida, yeah. and have them go, what about? And I'm like, oh, you just made this better. Hmm. Man, you've made it. And because it's a talk I'm good at, yeah. I can only see that talk that way right. right now. And they open the doors and windows to allow me to see it differently. And it's, oh, it's brilliant. That's cool. That's so great. Now, the, the weeks you're not teaching, mm -hmm. what's your role in the teaching team? If, you, if you're not, it's, it's not your room. Yep. Like, how do, you, 
how do you kind of engage in the collaboration as simply a participant? Yep. Be part of that group. Let everyone else know. Someone else starts that meeting. You know, I don't go, hey, guys, we're going to do it. This week, Chris is on. Or this week, Hilkin. I yeah. call him Hilkin. It's the last time. He's a Chris, too. I don't go, this week, Larry. They start it whenever they want to start it. Okay. I sit there, and I have to remember my whispers or shout. You know? Yeah. So I try not to give a lot of feedback. I can catch yeah. them in the hallway afterwards. Right. Let them, let them lead. Especially some of your younger teachers. Don't ever criticize or critique him in front of the group. Yeah. Those things I can commit, catch him afterwards and go, hey, by the way, Satan wasn't Jesus' brother. <laughs> I, you kind of said that. I don't, I don't know why I'm on that kick I right know, now. I'm like, I'm like where did this come from? I don't know. I've read, I did my doctor work on <laughs> Hebrews. I don't, I've never... <laughs> I never got that impression. I just picked. What can you what can you teach and someone walk away with? I don't know how I got that in my head. Not a true story. But those are things I can do afterwards. And he's like, oh, thanks. I don't need to cut his legs out from under me. Like yeah. So I sit there and encourage. Man, yeah. this is great. This is what. And uh, and I try to also give good feedback. Go, what would I want right. from someone sitting in here who may have seniority, even though we share a lot of team titles? They go, that's still Chris Brown. Um, how would I want him to be in my yeah. group? So who decided that Hebrews was going to be the next series? Um, right now, the two main decision makers on our teaching flow, there's kind of three of us. It's, uh, it's Larry Osborne, who was been there for 36 years. I've been there for 15 years. And Chris Hilkin, kind of the main third part of our teaching team. We love to get together and go, where do you feel we go next? We love balancing Old Testament, New Testament. We mm -hmm. don't want to just live in one for too long. Um, and we come up with a couple ideas. Then we get four, five, six weeks away from the next series. Okay. We will cut that sermon prep time short and say, guys, we want to spend 10 minutes just talking about a next series. Here's what we're thinking of. What do you guys think? And here's the beauty of that room in a couple ways. We get feedback from someone from our counseling department, our children's department, someone from facilities, you know, that loves coming into that. Yeah. We've got a couple lay guys that just, and women that just love showing up for that meeting. They've mm -hmm. taken their lunch break early, you know, just to be at North Coast every Tuesday. Um, we get feedback that we wouldn't have gotten on our own. Hmm. A, a lead pastor of an organization nowadays is a lot like the school principal. You, know, you work with the top of the class and the bottom. You work with ASB and you work with the discipline. And you really don't know what about 80% of your school and what's going on. Hmm. I, I feel like a lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever you call it, you work with the top, the leaders, and you work with the problem issues. And sometimes we're sucked out of the core of our church and the life of it. And that group, we start hearing in that group, man, this is resonating. We're going through this. We're going through that. And we're yeah. like, wow. Um, so we also use them to help chart our course for where we think we're going next. Yeah. And then we roll out. Once we have that, we come back probably in a week or two. Here's what we think of titling the series. Here's what we think we're going to call it. And this is where I love. We have so many 20-year-olds and uh, early 30s in there. Because I'm going to come up with a great title. And I see like five eyes in the room just roll. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> And there is a fine line between what is catchy and what is cheesy. Right. And somewhere past the age of 42, 43, my cheese meter got broken, buddy. Yeah. And what I think is catchy, when they all roll their eyes, I'm like, oh, okay. no. <laughs> oh, no. And they help me frame it so much better, okay. maybe in a millennialist view, and go, oh, you've just made me a cooler pastor. Nice. <laughs> I'm outsourcing coolness. Oh, I have to. Yeah. Yeah, Any anybody past the age of 42, I say 40. I'll give you maybe 42, 40. Yeah. Anyone past that age that still thinks you know coolness in this culture, you are dead wrong. I hate I, to break it to I you. I tell students, especially my Greek students, I said, hey, look, you're taking Greek right now. You probably drive a Honda or a minivan. Like, cool left a long time ago. <laughs> Don't even. So, so outsource it as much as you need to. You have to. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, so you did, you did Hebrews. When you got together as a group of three, mm -hmm. did you segment which week was going to be which passage, no. or do you kind of go It's a week at a time. It's a week at a time? It, it really is. That's, that's interesting. If someone's leaving on vacation or someone wants to get a, hey, I'm going to be gone for the next two, three weeks, I want to get a jump on it, yeah. we'll find out who's teaching and go, look, where do you think you're going and stopping? Where do you think you're going? We've, we've tried sometimes for necessity to give somebody a two to three week, but it is really, uh, you know, that Tuesday, I, we really find out where someone's going to stop. And then whoever's in that room goes, oh, then I know what I got next week. So we really don't map this thing out. And here's the key thing. We let different voices truly be different voices. I've seen a lot of teaching teams led by a lead teaching pastor who splits up. Here's what we're going to teach. Here's what you're going to teach. Here's how you're going to teach it. 
you've just got substitutes teaching your lesson plan. Mm -hmm. That's what a substitute is. Someone that comes in, they have to teach the teacher's mm -hmm. lesson plan, and everyone knows that's a substitute. A real teaching team, let someone else teach it their way, their voice, yeah. and you go, okay, I wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah. And the beauty is, the more you can be different and diverse in that, the less competition. Yeah. What Larry Osborne does with the text, he's a brilliant at synthesizing some incredibly complex philosophy, theology, you know, understanding, and just comes up with these little pithy statements that you go, ah, why didn't I do that before? Right. I can't touch that. That's not your style. No. What I do with the narrative, what I do with the emotion, the application, the heart of stuff, you know, I, Larry can't. And what Chris Hilkin does, he's such an intellectual and extreme right. gift at the age of 29. What that guy does, I just sit there and marvel at and go, I don't even know half the words you just used. Right. I couldn't even try to copy you. Right. I, I always use the difference. Of, you can sit around with buddies and discuss who, who's the best shortstop and third baseman. And who's better shortstop or third base? I've never heard discussion between a shortstop and a running back and who's better. Hmm. They're just different fields. Yeah. They're different sports. And the more you can allow people to be different, not the same, the less competition. Yeah. I can't touch Larry's what he does as a shortstop. There's no way I can do what Hilkin does, you know, as a forward, you know, power forward. And yet what I do as a running back, no one has that game. Yeah. And it's beauty just let those things go. Yeah. When did you feel like you really realized what sort of voice you have hmm. from the pulpit? Hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully. Obviously, it's in, we're, we're all in process to some degree. Yeah. But at a certain point along the way, you you pro, you listen to other pastors and you're like, that guy's good, that guy's good, she's good, whatever. But eventually, you realize like, I'm not going to be those people. Yep. I'm going to be Chris Brown. And um, I think early on, you need some great voices to get you started. And really, the voices that you're attracted to are going to tell you a lot about where you think your voice is. You know, if you're listening to a John Piper. You know, you're like, okay, you know, and you're listening to guys, or if you're listening to uh, a Francis Chan, you know, you're like, okay, you're going to have, there's a two different unique voices. Right. Um, so even who you're attracted to and drawn to tells a lot about, I think, that core stream that you're going to end up, you know, rowing in. Because I, I co-teach um, a seminary class at Bethel um, Seminary down in San Diego, uh, I had to sit down one day and go, I, I teach a segment on finding your voice. How do you find your voice? Yeah. And I sat back and thought, okay, where did I get that? And it was somewhere around year eight to 10. I really felt like this is who Chris is. Yeah. And then I really felt like, um, seriously, it was another eight years after that to feel like I've got a groove in that voice now. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt around the age of 35 to 38, um, after I started teaching at 19 on those breakfast clubs. So 16 years, yeah. I really felt like, I've got a lot of confidence in this voice yeah. and who I'm created to be. Um, and so I, you know, I challenge guys, look in your rearview mirror. All of you come up with your best three or four messages or the best series you've ever done. And then sit back and go, what made those best? What do they have in common? I look back and thought everything had an illustration. Everything had a story to it. Yeah. When I have a story, a narrative, I come alive. Yeah. Um, and there's the problem. Um, people would always remember my illustration, my stories, not the message. Mm. And so I came to a crisis of teaching mm. about uh, 10 years in where I realized I had raised a generation of Chris followers and there was supposed to be a T at the end of that. Um, kids knew my stories, mm. my stories of West Texas, my stories of rattlesnakes, <clears throat> dirt bikes, brothers, fights, tractor driving. Um, and kids knew my stories, not his. Mm. And I just thought I was a failure and the wheels came off. And I was on a road trip listening to a cassette tape. That's how long ago this was. Um, to a guy named Garrison Keeler. Oh, yeah. Lake Wobegon. Lake Wobegon. And just a fictional. He would sit on a stool, pack out huge halls, and just tell fictional stories. And I was just amazed by his storytelling. And he got me into the Christmas story before I realized it was the Christmas story. And the light went on. Hmm. Why aren't you telling his stories instead of your own? But what stories can we tell best? Right. Our own. Our own, yeah. And so how do I tell his story? I have to make it mine. And that's when I started talking about what I do with scripture. How do you teach it? Once I do all the work, once I do some commentary, once I get everything kind of done, I just crawl into the text. I try to watch it from the cobblestone, from the corner of the house. I try to watch it from in the crowd, from outside the crowd. And I really just try to walk it, just owning the words of scripture. Who was saying it? What was the response? What was happening? And uh, for a storyteller, if you can learn to walk scripture and live scripture, you can come out and tell it and they'll remember that story. Hmm. Up here at Hume, I just, I never tell personal stories. Huh. Um, I just do the text and kids 
already we've only had a day at camp and the amount of staff that have come up because I've been doing this now 18 years yeah. up here oh my gosh I remember the story that you did with Jesus uh, and I remember the story about the transfiguration about the disciples there and what happened and I've heard at least eight stories and none of them were about a tractor a rattlesnake a shotgun mm-hmm. um, they remembered scripture that's a great I think that we all love great storytellers yeah and coming to the point where you're like I just I don't want them to remember the stories of my life. I want them to remember the stories of Christ's life or of Scripture. That is a, that's a fantastic, because it's such a great tool. But you're right, at the end of the day, do, do I want them to remember my funny story, or do I want them enthralled seeing Scripture with new eyes? Yeah. It, it could be your attention giving. You come up with a great illustration. I used to devour the you specialties put out like hot illustrations and volume one, two, three. I had a volume 27 and I would read those little two page things, tell it better than what they wrote it. And I'm like, yeah, even if it's only the two, three, four minute attention getting. Right. Um, that's what people remember because you tell that story with passion. Yeah. And then we turn to scripture. And so for about eight years. Um, I realized God gave me this gift of making his boring book come alive and making it palatable to high schoolers. And I would have never said that out loud, but my ministry gave that away. Right. God needed me to make his boring book somewhat understandable. And uh, that's the way every illustration, every story, if you looked at it, you're like, that's where your passion was. Hmm. And now let's open the book of Leviticus and let's just read. And so I thought, why am I not telling those? And you never look for an opening illustration again. You just walk your group through the scene. Last night I had to do Genesis 1, creation. Yeah. So I did my homework. I did what am I doing? I did my study on it. What do I want to bring out of this? Um, where do you start the story? Every, um, every genre of scripture is, is narrative. It's either written in narrative or there's a narrative behind it. Right. Because Genesis <clears throat> 1, the narrative of how do you describe and walk through creation, mm, that's a little tough. Instead, last night we started with Moses sitting on a small hill. Sun has gone down, hot evening breeze. Israelites are all outside their tarps talking. The last few weeks have been mind-blowing. They were slaves at the beginning of the month. Plagues brought the greatest nation to its knees. They saw a Red Sea split. They're standing in the wilderness, still in awe of God. And Moses realized, you're the children of God, and you have no clue who your God is. So he takes a single candle, and he sits And the spirit just floods through him and he writes in the beginning, God created. This is not a science book to tell you how creation happened. This is a history book because God doesn't want you to be in awe of him. He wants you to know him. Hmm. And we this week are going to walk through Moses's pen. You know, tonight, sin, he's going to look. You, now you know you're created with a purpose. You're created with a passion. You are designed and you are set apart from creation as image. What has gone fatally wrong from the end of page two, feeling no shame yeah. to we are, and page three will be written. Oh, it's so good. So good. Yeah. I love it, Chris. Um, when you, as as we kind of are in the, the latter part of this. We'll talk forever. I know teaching. we could. We oh, could I forever. love this. I love this. So the last series you guys taught at North Coast was Hebrews, right? We're just, I'm going to go home and finish the last part of it next okay. week. So what? Was there anything in Hebrews that surprised you? Every page. Well, yeah. Every page. You know, and I don't mean that to be like, no, every page. It is. I just, I can't believe I used to hate this book. You have trouble sleeping. Crack the Bible. I guarantee you. Three paragraphs in, (laughs) nighty night. And every page. um, For me, it's this narrative in Hebrews. You know, this is uh, is probably not as much a letter. It was a sermon given. To a bunch of people who came to know God, love this God, but they are still holding on to old rules and regulations. Um, they are still holding on to legalism. And basically the entire book in, in my look, looking at Hebrews is Jesus is enough. He's greater than he's greater than the prophets. Yep. He's greater than the sacrifice. He's greater than the angels. Guys, hold on to Jesus and get rid of this junk that you're carrying that's still ripping an Old Testament legalism separation from God when this blood has covered it. And I just found every page listening to it through first century eyes of a Jew going, but our entire life revolved around sacrificial. Our entire life revolved around the celebrations and the holidays. How can this be done? Yeah. Uh, And what does it is finished really mean? Mm. Guys, he wasn't joking. Yeah. 
Was there a certain uh, particular sermon that stands out to you as you're thinking about My last one. Everyone's my last one. We're only as good as our last one. (laughs) Isn't that? When do we ever get over that? Oh, pastors, when do we? It could be brilliant. You're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And then you walk away Sunday and go, I got to duplicate that next week. I got to come up with that next week. Oh my gosh, I set the bar too high. I shouldn't have been that good. Oh, somehow I got to. We put way too much of ourselves in this equation of this game. Um, Wow, is there one? So I love the end of, oh, is it, uh, I think it's chapter 12. Um, uh, We're, I'm not sure who authored. We all got a good guess on that. But, um, and just talking about uh, this new covenant. And I just did a whiteboard, drew a line. And I just put Old Testament, New Testament. Is it the, is it the Sinai Zion passage? Yeah. You haven't come to the mountain yep. that can't be touched and darkness and gloom and whirlwind. Yeah, but you, here's what you've come to. You've come to the heavenly Mount Zion. So we read that and go, that's a bunch of Bible gook, and go, stop, let's yeah. go back. And for a narrator, let's explode right. Exodus 19. Right. When they walked out of sight of camp, when the yeah. trumpets sound, when there's lightning and earthquake, the old stereo posters, their hair was blasting backwards. And there's a line that says, if you cross it, you'll die. If you bring your pets and they run across you got to kill them you you worship and come to an untouchable unfathomable high voltage god that even if you cross the line you're going to be smoked and then the people are like we don't want to see god yeah, Moses, we, you they go. begged that no other word be spoken yep oh gosh so this is their entire understanding of god and for a lot of christians today this is their entire god just can't wait to get me with the lightning right. bolt he's unapproachable right. he's this god right and it's like now let me tell you the mountain you've come to right. to jerusalem a mountain Oh my gosh, the relationship that explodes. This is done. And you climb that mountain behind Jesus. Yeah. He's gone in and you follow right behind. Danger on every side, you yep. know, but now you're you're riding right behind. You're drawing near because I of the blood step of Jesus. over that line right. that once was uncrossable, untouchable because he now calls me son. Yeah. Because he sees me as forgiven. So many Christians still think, oh, well, well, you know, God's still going to punish me for my sin. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He can't punish you for your sin. It's been dealt with. It's been forgiven. Can you imagine heaven? We get there and God wants to deal with our sin. And Jesus is like, wait a second. Now that I have you here. (laughs) Yeah. We we have some things to discuss. And Jesus would come unglued. He goes, wait, wait, can I remind you what I did? Was that for nothing? Right. It was paid for. And he stands there currently. He's currently mediate. He He stands at the right hand of God. Isn't that brilliant? It is. Brilliant. I can't believe I thought this book was so boring. And it's yet. fantastic. It is. It yeah. is. Uh, it, and that's what I love doing, because you just yeah. read Hebrews. I think for most Christians, you read Hebrews on your own. Oh, I'm on that can't be touched. I, will, and you, uh, I don't know. And you go, next page. Get me to the fun. Get to the action. And right. I love breaking down people. For a first century Jew, this scripture, they all went to Exodus 19. Right. We're not good Jews. We haven't lived it. Let me take it to Exodus 19 right. and show you this is not what we have. Yeah. And then I love Christians going, oh, this is the part of the Bible I never understood. And now it's become one of my favorite passages. Oh, fantastic. It is, that is kind of the way it goes, isn't it? That, yeah. that the things that you get a fresh look at something and yeah. you realize, oh my gosh, God is in this and it's fantastic. And it's funny. People constantly come. So what's your favorite book of the Bible? And now I say, the one I'm teaching. It's, it's the true. one I'm teaching. It's true. It's true. Well, thanks for making time, Chris. This is awesome. If anybody wants to hear a Chris Brown sermon, because they can't just Google Chris Brown. Uh, because you can. The, I'm on page 4,356,284. <laughs> turns out there's another guy named Chris Brown. Another guy, little Rihanna incense. Yeah. A lot of stuff has happened. But if somebody wanted to hear a Chris Brown Let sermon. Let me make it easy. Just go to pastorchrisbrown.com. Okay. Um, that is a link to my messages, and that goes straight to our church website. There is nothing for sale. There's nothing I have that I own that is mine. I right. ripped off anybody unashamedly um so just pastorchrisbrown.com okay and that gets you right into also our church website and all of our archives hundreds of messages fantastic we'll have a link in the show notes and other stuff that we talked about but chris thanks so much for making time it's been great to reconnect and uh love what you do and you know what seriously since 92 on you've been one of those guys i've always looked and thought man Uh, it's just awesome to see what you've been able to do and how you shape lives you are the dr bruce bloin for so many um that i had in my life that have just taken your quirky theology your passion for god but just aligned it and set them loose well that's very kind chris it's been and it it is it's a lot of fun to do great it's great to be working in the kingdom that's what it is yeah isn't that amazing we get to be called sons and then he allows us to work in the in the family business i know I know. It's oh! awesome. It's awesome. He's got the worst business plan. And then he goes this. 
I'm going to give you everything you need, all your talents, all your gifts, set you up, and I only want 10%. And I'm like, you're the worst business partner ever. You know you made the lousiest contract. And then we whine and wail about 10%. Uh, Don't even get into Old Testament, New Testament. Cheerful, sacrificial. Put that in your hands. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for the time, Chris. That was obviously a very fun conversation with an old friend, Chris Brown. Um, if you would like to hear some sermons from Chris, um, you could visit him down at North Coast Church in Vista, or you could go to northcoastchurch.com, or you could go to pastorchrisbrown.com. Both of those links are in the show notes. Um, as you can tell, Chris is a, a gifted team guy, communicator, and he's really intentional about what he does. Some of the resources that he mentioned are we have links to in the show notes. Bethel Seminary of San Diego is there, as well as a link uh, to Garrison Keeler's uh, website, um, A Prairie Home Companion. And if you are a, a storyteller and you're kind of uh, you find yourself in that narrative preaching tradition, uh, listening to some of Garrison's uh, recordings are fantastic for honing that skill and being inspired for that matter. There's also a link, uh, David Guzik was mentioned, EnduringWord.com for some resources for study, as well as BlueLetterBible.com and Azusa Pacific University. Um, We always like to thank the Pawn Shop Kings for providing our intro and outro music. Love those guys, and uh, you can visit their website by link in the show notes as well. For the podcast, there's a couple things you can do. Obviously, the best thing you can do, if you like this, if this was helpful, if this is inspiring you to create teams and to change the way you're doing things, look, share the podcast. Um, sometimes just having someone else listen to what you listen to can help um, galvanize around an idea. And if you are thinking about teams or teaching team, this would be a great one to share. Um, so share the podcast. You could also visit our Patreon page and become a patron of the podcast. That's patreon.com backslash the teaching pastor. Also, if you have a question for me or something that you'd like to hear um, on the air, on the podcast, um, email me at theteachingpastor at gmail.com. So love that you're listening, love that you're sharing, love that you're downloading, subscribe to the podcast. um, And uh, yeah, we're having a great time doing these. So we will catch you on the next episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast. This is Craig Hill. I wanna hear the good Lord say well.